Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Dr. Vale Hour podcast, hosted by Vale Place, located in Hopkins, Minnesota. And as we continue our culturally diverse conversations on all things mental health, we are very excited to welcome a special guest today, Bettina Park, who is the executive director of the Tribal State Relations with the Office of Minnesota Governor Walls. With over 20 years of work experience, Bettina is a dedicated leader in the field of tribal state relations policy and law. Patina currently serves as the Executive Director of Tribal State Relations at the Office of the Governor and Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, where she acts as a direct link between the Tribal Nations and the Governor's Office, and as a Senior Policy and Legislative Affairs Advisor for the State Government on issues impacting Native American communities throughout Minnesota. Her mission is to build upon existing knowledge, policies, practices, relationships, and support state government leadership and staff to engage in productive and respectful tribal state relations and communication. And we are very excited to have her today, as well as Karina Forrest Perkins, the Vail Place Executive Director and President. But we need to kick it off by thanking our sponsor of episode two of the Dr. Vail Hour podcast, which is Spire Credit Union, driven by Minnesota values. At Spire, their core purpose is simple, to improve lives since 1934. They have proudly served the residents of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Today, with over 22 branch locations in Minnesota, a network of ATMs across the country, and innovative products and services, they can assist you with all of your financial needs. Thank you, Spire. Without further ado, I will turn it over to Karina and Patina. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate you, and I appreciate Spire Credit Union for sponsoring this episode, and it is my honor to welcome Patina Park to our Dr. Vale podcast. Now, this podcast is a way that we honor one of our key figures in Vale's history, Dr. David Vale, and his approach to serving and supporting individuals who live with serious mental health challenges. Dr. Vale's approach was to respect and amplify the inherent worthiness of individuals struggling with these circumstances, and to stop the inhumane transactional practices that were only too common in our mental health system less than 100 years ago, actually probably a little bit more recent than that, frankly. And today we want to reach all of our listeners, bringing you formal and informal leaders from the community who understand how to work alongside each other to catalyze positive changes in health and well-being. And I am so excited about our guest today. Patina, it is an honor to have you here. Your history is so rich. I first connected with you and learned mm -hmm. about all things Patina when you served as the CEO for the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. And now here you are serving as the Executive Director for Tribal Relations for the Office of the Governor, a very uh, excellent, influential role for all of us in the state and certainly for those of us with Indigenous heritage. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that, Patina. Could you take a moment and give our audience some insight into your role and all you hope to accomplish or have already accomplished in this role for our tribes and state. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. This is, it's always fun to sit down and have a conversation with an old friend. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, in my current role, um, one of the things I have the privilege of doing is working closely with the governor and lieutenant governor, both who just have a very human-focused approach mm -hmm. to government. Um, however, it's still government, <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, 
I know Lieutenant Governor often says what we're doing is trying to turn a large ship quickly yes. and it just doesn't. And so I've been with them now since March of 2020. Uh, I like to highlight that I started on a Monday and the peacetime emergency was declared on that Friday. So the role I started and thought I'd be doing <laughs> a week later was not what ended up happening. So um, I do serve as kind of that key contact between the tribes and then also help to advise when policy stuff comes from agencies or when commissioners reach out with questions to kind of provide a more um, holistic approach to tribal affairs. So it's not just tribal nations and government to government but also recognizing the urban community and the rural community and that we're not a pan-Indian kind of group within the state and ensuring that as stuff comes up, it's being inclusive of all those communities because it has such a huge impact because right. we have so many disparities, right? We have the worst, we're on the top of all the worst lists and so, Again, it doesn't happen as fast as you want it to, but you know, ways I've seen the influence of having even just this office in the governor's office is that policy people that work for the governor will reach out and say, hey, wouldn't this have an impact on the tribes? Or, you know, we got some information from the agency and it doesn't have anything about Native American. And what do you think about that? And to like support them too and saying, oh yeah, that, that's wrong. Like, go back, see if they have that information, how, how they're going to approach, how they're going to do a community engagement in an authentic way instead of a checkbox. And, you know, this last legislative session, you know, there was significant things that happened in Indian country. I mean, Indigenous Peoples Day is now recognized in the state of Minnesota right. for the first right. time, which is, you know... Pretty exciting. It is. Actually. And what's funny is I didn't even realize it until like several months after it happened. Like because so many things were happening right. um, that it just kind of like flew by without anybody noticing until we we're like, well, wait a minute. That happened for real. And I think just being able to raise visibility and educating others, I, I say often that there aren't enough of us to make change alone. So it's far more powerful to educate others so that we have allies all over the place raising, wait a minute, what about native people? Even if there's not a single native person in the room. Yeah, yeah that's a, an amazing point. I remember when I first got back to Minnesota, it would have been in 2000, maybe 10, 11. And I was in a community meeting with many stakeholders across providers and we were looking at preventive practice in the state and I think in that at that time maybe it was uh, child and family health mm -hmm. right and somebody uh, who shall remain uh, anonymous in this podcast <laughs> was presenting and and no no fault I don't I don't uh, put any fault on this individual they were really doing the best they could to present the hard data they collected around these issues and they were looking then at child mortality mm -hmm. rates and there was a slide that came up and and it was showing all the different segments of the population who were being considered i know you know what i'm gonna say mm -hmm. and i said uh 
I asked the question, do we have a category or was there a way that you measured indigenous impact, you know, the impact to the indigenous population in Minnesota? And the individual said, no, actually they're statistically insignificant. Yeah. And when she said it, you could tell she did not mean it that way mm -hmm. at all. She's a, data, a statistician or whatever, right, right? exactly. She just talks data. That's it. And so she kind of looked at me, and I looked at her, and I nodded, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, don't, don't freak out here <laughs> in front of 700 people. But I, but I really think that if we're not careful, and I love what you said, that there's not quite enough of us to be uh, a... Western hero sweeping mm -hmm. in and saving all tribal nations from invisibility. And so you have to work together and you have to work across tribal lines and that is no small um, undertaking. Um, something I worked on with this, you know, I'm Cherokee and mm -hmm. from my dad's side, Choctaw, but I'm enrolled Cherokee. And I have had a lot of people because I'm not from a tribal affiliation up in the upper Midwest. And so um, it's common that you will hear people say, well, um, you're, not, you're not Indian enough, mm -hmm. right? Or you're not a tribe from around here. Or you are, you're, here's um, Dakota, here's Lakota, here's, um, you know, Redbud, here's all the... And, the confusion around the name of Sue and what Sue mm -hmm. means. And you have all of this information that uh, under this big, massive umbrella of tribal communities, mm -hmm. as if they're the same and there's not. It is so unique. We have slavery in our, in our history mm -hmm. as Cherokees, and it's a source of great shame to our tribe and our leadership and for so many reasons. Um, but that history is not well known mm -hmm. and you don't get a chance to really have that information flowing. So there's, there's a disconnect out there. I think the idea that all indigenous people are in one bucket or all tribes are in one bucket, that that's such a, a challenge for me. And it's also, um, I think, a way that it's easier to make it invisible, an invisible mm -hmm. issue, because you're not really calling out the uniqueness and honoring the uniqueness exactly, and the difference. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I love also, I, don't, I say that, and I love what you said about we need each other, and we need each other to work alongside each other to make measurable change mm -hmm. in the world, right? for our benefit. Um, one of the things that I know you're well aware of with your history, your expertise, your impact in the community is how the illnesses of mental illness and addiction has stricken our community in uh, ruthless ways. And I yeah. wanted to just ask a little bit about what you have seen as a result of Homelessness, crisis, uh, COVID impact, all things that push on our people. And, uh, and, and I guess what, 
what can we learn from from what we've seen over the last few years and what we're seeing today? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because, you know, it seems every time something peaks, there's this kind of attention to it like it's almost new. Um, or, oh, we need to do another study about that. Or, you know, and I can't imagine, like, how many unsheltered homeless studies have there been in Minnesota where the outcome and recommendations have been the same consistently? Like, they haven't changed. Right. Even though it might be a new population because we're a new generation, the, like, the underlying issues of, of healing and culture and just visibility continually impact those system responses. Yeah. And, you know, when I was at MIWRC, it was, what, four years ago, we had that, the first wall of forgotten natives, which created this kind of intense focus of, oh, wow, like, it was, you couldn't ignore it. Like, it was raw and in your face. Um, and there have been great strides to affect it. Yeah. But again, you've got hundreds of years of creating this situation. It's not going to turn overnight. Right. And what I see now, which is, you know, I think pretty consistent across Indian country too, is there's so few of us. And because of all that kind of lateral and historic kind of trauma and defensiveness, that rather than kind of coming together, we start to tear each other apart. Oh, yeah. With that, like you said, not being Indian enough, you don't know. You're not from here. I've heard right. those things too. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Um, when I don't have to be from here to understand like where stuff is coming from. Right. Um, and so that's always disappointing to me when it's our own community. Yeah. You know, that yeah. is kind of committing this lateral attack that just sets us back and makes other outsiders going to go, oh, well, I don't, I don't know how to wade into this. And so then they don't. Right. And right. so we just lead to, leads to more invisibility. Right. It or silences. Like yeah. And, and, but now what I see is we are in a moment of time where systems are open and listening. Yeah. And so for those who have created a, an entire persona around being the agitator or the person yelling in the room, see us, see us. Well, they are. And if they're looking at you and you don't have the solutions or the ideas or the points of intense impact that would make a difference, then you're just yelling. Like you're right. not actually right. helping and or recognizing that people have been yelling like since AIM, right? I mean, you know, AIM was yelling in the late sixties <laughs> and seventies. Yes. And then a new group took over in the eighties, like right. the nineties, right? It it's been a 50 years in the Twin yeah. Cities specific of, of like raising awareness and see us, see us. Well, now like we're starting to, you're seeing data come out where they have adjusted per capita or turning the data around. So instead of saying, well, you know, 500 out of a hundred in, you know, this population, it's okay. If this was happening to the white population, it would be 60,000 people would have died. Right. right. Like to put it in a term that. Excellent. Out like outside the community can really like internalize it like whoa, um, but it's you know like you said earlier I've been doing this for twenty plus years I learn all the time it just keeps building and building mm -hmm. and so it's very difficult to 
get to that point where you really see all the points of intersection to then formulate a response. Right. And right. then to have people listen. Right. Yeah, because you're trying to bring so many voices together um, across significant difference and and make an impact with those words, right? So you begin to see all of this focus. Um, obviously, we have COVID, but we see also this realization in the midst of a pandemic, you're also realizing, gosh, that I'm, I'm going to really have to survive here, and this is a scary place. Mm -hmm. And where do you get your sources of strength? And where do you, um, how do you help support so many communities with so much uniqueness and difference to feel a sense of safety when they're experiencing a pandemic and this racial uh, just tipping point mm -hmm. moment for the nation. Um, what does that look like? What have, you, what have you seen tribes do to respond in ways that you think have been really examples for all of us of how we could support each other differently? Well, I think the COVID experience is a good example. I know in other communities, you know, like the Navajo, were just decimated, like because of kind of their environment, their situation, and the numbers, and how it it just had such a, a painful impact. Um, tribes weren't just testing their own members; they were testing their in expanded communities, so their employers or employees. Oh, excuse me, their nice. employees' families, yes. right? Um, they're, they're, you know, people living in the house, like, come, we will test. And the immunization were high in Indian country and transfer was low. Um, but even such, I think, you know, that fish first fishing opener um, in 2020, mm -hmm. you know, having that access to the governor's office to say, hey, listen, we're doing okay up here. And if all of your, like, non-native people come up here to fish, you call it isolated, like you're just out on a boat, but they come to our gas station, they come to our grocery store, they come to our store, like, so they will expose our community. So the first request is don't have a fishing opener. But if you recall, it was fish close to home. Right. Like the entire message shifted to, oh, hadn't thought about that. You're right. So let's fish close to home. Don't travel up north. Don't go to right. the lakes. Um, instead, there are plenty of lakes in the Twin Cities. There's lakes around, like, go fish there instead of exposing community that don't need to. Or even, like, Red Lake, when they wanted to close their border. Right. MnDOT just showed up and redirected traffic. Right. You know, when you compare to South Dakota, who the governor threatened the National Guard when the Cheyenne River wanted to just do a checkpoint and, right. and ensure people weren't ill coming into the reservation. Like, that kind of difference between partnering as a response. Right. And the governor, Lieutenant Governor, will say and have said many times, one of the reasons Minnesota did so well during the COVID response is because of the deliberate partnering with the 11 nations. Yeah. And that we had 12 governments responding Ex collaboratively yes. to the issue rather than fighting each other over resources or not being sensitive to the, to the requests of the separate tribes. Right. But it was, you know, I think for many of us, though, it was 
18 hours a day, seven days a week. Like it was so crazy during those months. I'm not sure any of us have fully like processed and, and let it sink in mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just how kind of horrible the whole thing was like the burden and the like stress and, um, it's great. We, it turned out well, but we still had thousands of people pass away. We did, you know, and the people, a significant loss. Families still lost loved ones. Yes, they did. Um, even though we had less than other states, I mean, every single one is a tragedy. Um, and I, I do think that's something we still kind of have to reckon with as a as a community and even as a government. This kind of right. what are the long term effects of that? Right. And the ambiguous losses. What could have happened that was different that did not? How might we have behaved um, differently? How? And I think of that for a lot of other states. Um, my family's from Oklahoma, and that's in a land allotment state. Mm-hmm. So no reservations, so to speak. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's very complicated. And... Uh, uh, particularly challenging in times like a pandemic or dealing with mental health challenges or addiction challenges. You know, I, I just interviewed Sue Abder Holden from our Minnesota NAMI yes, chapter. Oh, she's she is remarkable, truly uh, a legacy leader, in my opinion, as a, someone who has really put herself on the line for many years, uh, standing up for voices that might not have been able to stand up for themselves in that moment. And she said something last year that stuck with me, that the mental health system is not broken. It was never built. And there's a great deal of truth in that statement. And I think when I think of Indian nations and indigenous people, Again, through all of the differences that are present tribe by tribe by tribe, what what could we uh, what could we learn about how it could be built that would be inclusive, that would be welcoming to an indigenous uh, family or a tribal community? No, I think one of the primary problems with the whole system is it is a medical model which is not, um, doesn't land well in Indian country. Um, you know, Indian health, so many of us have to deal with is just not a stellar thing. Great. <laughs> uh, also never really built. Um, and so, you know, as we think about how can we do this, it really is like those Culture, like culture is healing. We hear that and we see it. It's, if we see it, it works. But I can't build right traditional healer, right? Because of insurance, right? Absolutely. You know this kind of business model of mental health or limited. You only get so many visits. Right. What is that? I know. And of course, I've been in this field for twenty-five uh, dot 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 years, and I will tell you, I just it never ceases to cause my jaw to drop to the floor when I hear things like that. So things that actually would be helpful, you have no mechanism to make that sustainable financially. It's just really uh, hubris. 
<laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, it's also, though, while like for tribes, they do have a little more flexibility, like with the all-inclusive rate that they can build for. Right, right. So at NYWRC, we partnered with Fond du Lac to do that same, you know, build through them to get the kind of all-inclusive rate, which was high enough to allow for the cultural stuff, right? Right. When it came back. Right. You know, for mainstream, or if you don't have access to those federal funds, it's next to impossible. I mean, you have to figure out some other grant to cover the services and just figure out how to count, you know, this kind of reporting game oh. that we all have to do. Oh, yes. And, you know, when you, think, when you really think about it, um, we should have the same kind of focus, like, that we, as a nation, have had around child care, mm -hmm. have the same kind of focus, like, around mental health. Right. Um, because strong mental health also results in people who take less time off who are more productive at work. Like it right. the system for those who are kind of on the outside and look at things from a capitalistic kind of Eurocentric um, living the dream kind of mentality. Um, but if those funds, like if there was a shift in how we allocated funds, it would have a huge impact. It would. People are kind of like, it's still a hidden, like, quiet, unless you're someone on the street, you know, right. making a big scene for most people. A lot of people who struggle, no one sees it or notices it. Mm -hmm. To kind of raise that rallying cost. So, yeah, Sue is just amazing that she has just continually. Oh, she just fierce. Fierce. You have to. This is about... It's a moral imperative to act uh, authentically and true to the values of the work. And I was just talking with uh, an indigenous provider the other day who was, they have a drumming group and someone had shown up to the drumming group and they were inebriated. Mm -hmm. And the uh, structure that supports a lot of that billing didn't want that individual present. And his perspective was, okay, um, if there's ever a time that drumming would be helpful to a human being, it's now when he needs it most. Yes. Not go home, get sober, come back, which that won't happen, mm -hmm. and now drum, right? It was really uh, an obscenity to, to see that unfold the way it did for him as a provider. And of course he totally um, handled it <laughs> and handled it well. But, uh, but yeah, we, we, I think have to send a message like Sue does, like you have just, and be pushing all the time at the system and the decision makers that are involved in shaping the outcome of the system. So as we prepare to, close today's dialogue. And I could, I could sit and talk with you for days and days, I know, right? And our audience would fall asleep at some point, I guess. I don't know. But um, what message do you want to send or advice that you have to give to us at Vail, to our audience about your observations of what we can do together to be allies for whole person health in our communities um, from working with tribal communities or across 
difference in multiple communities. Just what advice do you have for us as we close? Yeah, I think one of the most important things to do is to listen, right? To ask, like, what is needed and hear. But then also be prepared to respond back. Because I, I think for too long we've listened and then maybe moved forward with what was the ask without having a like a critical analysis of will that really make a difference? Right. Or are we asking people who don't have the experience or background to be really uh, making huge system like policy decisions? Mm -hmm. Um, we should absolutely have community voices and lived experience voices, but I also think it's unfair that we also sometimes ask those individuals to come up with the solutions when they don't know how the system works. Right. You know, you know I think even right now, um, most people are aware that legislation doesn't start to February, but we're already finalizing our policies now that will move forward, right? Right. Late summer. Right. So if you're waiting until March to bring stuff forward, you're going to have an uphill battle both in the legislature or with agencies because it's the window's starting to close on you. Right. Um, right. And, well, how would someone know that? Right. How would? Right. Exactly. Um, right. Or even if a you know a tribal nation makes a request like we need we need more of this. Okay. Well, having the answer well, then more of this will result in this outcome, but what you are saying you want is not that outcome. You, you know, you want less involvement maybe with your families for child protection or more services. Well then on the flip side, um, counting who was compliant after the cases are all closed and investing a ton of money in like recording that won't be a single family and prevent them from getting into the service. But it makes sense, more compliance, less involvement, but not the way the system works. Right. Um, and I think the other thing that we need to keep in mind when we are like with community or we're getting input um, is we compensate them, right? I mean, that if they're experts, they should be compensated as experts instead of those of us who are paid well with our benefits, you know, taking notes, say thank you so much for your input and then going back and making changes, but like you've taken someone's time and their experience and you've not like validated or honored it at all. If right. all you're doing is saying, thank you so much for sharing, you know, right. painful history and, you know, right. crisis, right. Um, you know, and then not honoring it in any way. Yeah. Oh, so good. Patina, I could talk with you and listen to you and learn from you for for days and years, and I, I plan on definitely having you back and just kind of going into a part two of, of how we continue to do this work together and make a difference in, in the communities we live in and for the communities walking alongside them on this journey. It is, um, it is an honor to have you here, and um, I just want to close by thanking our audience for listening to Patina Park, Executive Director of Tribal Relations for the Governor's Office in the state of Minnesota. And I will turn it back to you, Katie.
Thank you, Karina, and thank you, Patina. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for being here, and thank you as well to Spire, our sponsor of Episode 2 for the Dr. Vale Hour podcast. If you would like to learn more about Vale Place, you can visit us at www.valeplace.org. And just like our wonderful sponsors have a jingle with every episode, we will now be sharing with you our Spire jingle. Thank you again, Spire, and I am Katie Crawford, the Director of Advancement here at Vale Place, and thank you so much for listening. If you want to make sense of your dollars And you want to feel rich in your heart Well, you'll have to invest with a purpose With folks that are caring and smart Let us tell you they know what your wishes And your hopes and your dreams do require they're nearby and they're known by their truck that is blue with the sign that reads Spire. <laughs>